The spring of 81 was incredibly wet. There's lots of flooding all over our part of the country. And I was out sloshing through a pasture one day, checking the sheep, when I caught a whiff of something really rotten. I mean really rotten. Now keep in mind that when you have a bunch of soaking wet sheep, it already doesn't smell like a big bouquet of red roses. When you've got a big bunch of soaking wet sheep, it's already pretty whiffy. So you can imagine how rotten the smell was to stick in my mind for almost 25 years. Anyhow, I sloshed around until I figured out the smell was probably coming from one certain ewe. So I went ahead and caught her just to check. Now, how do you catch a sheep? I suppose there's a lot of different ways to catch a sheep, but at least the way we used to catch them is we had this long pole. It's actually a little bit longer than I can reach. Now, the end of the pole was kind of a, a metal hook, a springy hook. It's really U-shaped, really tight, like a, like a big springy bobby pin, real tough. And uh, it's about yay long, the hook, and the whole pole, you know, eight, nine feet, I don't know, eight feet, seven feet, something like that. Anyway, we used to call that pole with the hook on it and a crook. So how do you use a crook uh, to catch a sheep? Well, you pick out the one you want to get a hold of, and then you reach out and you grab a hind leg with that hook. And as long as you keep pressure on it, she can't kick free. It'll slide right down to her fetlock, and then she'll just sit there and kick. And you just kind of reel it in. You go up arm in arm over the pole till you got a hold of her. Then once you got a hold of them, a sheep's a pretty easy thing to hold on to because they got wool everywhere. You just grab it and they ain't getting anywhere. You just hang on. Okay, so I caught this ewe. As I'm getting closer and closer up that pole, it's the, 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 the odor's getting overpowering. I'll leave out the gory details. I reached up the middle of the back and I grabbed hold of a big old piece of wool so I could hang on to her. And then I got a really big surprise because it came off in my hand. Now that's about like grabbing your your hair and it all of a sudden comes off, the whole bunch comes off in your hand. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And I'm standing there wondering what's going on, this unbelievable stench, looking at this handful of wool, and then I see the skins come off with it too. So I've got a big chunk of wool and a big patch of skin right there in my hand. And then I look at it and I see it's just crawling. It's alive with maggots. And I look down, and so is the wound. Okay, what's going on? There's a couple problems that happened there with that ewe. First off, what had probably happened is she probably got some manure on that part of her fleece. And then she got so wet from all those soaking rains. And of course, if you've ever stuck your hand, and well, why do we wear wool? Because it keeps you warm. And on a sheep, it's really warm. You have that natural by the heat. So you have, it's warm, it's wet, it's got manure in there. And what happens when you have something like that? It starts rotting. That's where that rank smell comes from. It's something called fleece rot. Then what does that do? That attracts flies, blowflies. So they came, laid their eggs. There's two kinds of maggots. Some kind of maggots eat dead things, and others eat live flesh. So that's what was going on. As it was getting, she was getting eaten alive, right there. She's in serious trouble. And if she didn't get doctored pretty quick, we'd have lost her. So I kind of wrestled her in the corral, and then I had to start pulling on the wool around that open wound. And as you're pulling on it, because you have to figure out how, how big is this particular deal. So I'm pulling off chunks of hide as I'm doing it, until I uncover an area about, yay, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five inches wide, six inches wide, by about eight, nine inches long. So that's the, the area that I have uncovered. Okay, now, I got all that exposed. 
Then I had to brush off all the maggots, of course. And then I took a clean cloth and I had to rub off that raw flesh to clean it off. Think about what that would feel like, having all that raw flesh and you're scrubbing it with the rag. Then you sprayed it with some veterinary medicine to dry it out. And then with some fly spray to keep them from returning. And just kind of uh, clip the wool right around that wound to get it back and get rid of any, any, any case that happened again. I'm trying not to get too colorful in this description. Believe me, the whole episode's thoroughly disgusting. Anybody that's worked with this kind of thing, I'm being real gentle on you. Okay, anyway, I really had to cause that you a lot of pain to make sure those wounds were clean. It wasn't something I wanted to do. It's something I liked to do, not at all. It's something I had to do if I wanted to save that poor you. It took a while for that poor old you to heal up, but eventually she made it. Okay. Why am I standing up here on a Sunday morning telling you some kind of disgusting story about a fleece-rotten, fly-blown, old sheep? It's Good Shepherd Sunday. Even though it's been years since I worked sheep, as a priest, my current job description isn't really that much different. Except you're the sheep I'm supposed to keep track of. Nowadays, I don't carry a crook. The bishop represents Christ to his flock. That's why he carries a crook when he's visiting his diocese. They just call a liturgical crook a crozier, but that's what that is. I don't think you'd catch a sheep with it, but you get the point. And it's easy to see a parallel between rotten, smelling maggots infesting the body of a sheep and mortal sins infesting the soul of one of our Lord's sheep. Of course, before I used veterinary medicine on the sheep out in the corral, but now we apply the precious blood to those wounds of sin back there in that confessional. Before I used to use fly spray to keep away the blowflies. Now we use holy water, St. Bandex medals, palm crosses, other sacramentals to keep away those little filthy demonic flies. Before I had to doctor the sheet by pulling off the hide and scrubbing raw flesh in order to get rid of infection maggots. Nowadays, we accomplish the same end to our sheep by wounding you and scrubbing you with the inerrant, non-negotiable, inflexible teachings of the Catholic Church. And they are non-negotiable. We remind any of you, that's our job as priests, any of you that have your souls infected with the pus and maggots of mortal sin, even one mortal sin, that you need to get treatment right back there in the confessional. If you don't, if you don't repent and confess that sin, you go to hell. Dad expected me to do whatever it took to save that you, even if it meant really hurting her. And the good Lord doesn't expect any less from his priests. We're supposed to keep you from ending up in hell. We're not here to make you feel good. That's why I don't get up here every Sunday and tell jokes. We don't have time for that. you got all week for jokes. We're here not to help you feel good. We're here to help you be good. That's our job. Even if it causes some pain sometimes. But if sometimes we have serious words for you as the sheep, our Lord has even more serious words for us as the shepherds. I'll read you just a few, and there's lots. Quote, Woe to the shepherds, you have scattered my flock, and you have not attended to them. 
Behold, I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Wail, you shepherds, and cry, for the days of your slaughter have come. No refuge will remain for the shepherd. Close quote. Inspired word of God. So we're all in it together. Different roles, but we're all in this together. Now this morning we'll take out some spiritual bug spray and go after a few common springtime problems. Before we get started, everyone needs to burn this into his mind. Burn it into your mind. The teaching of the Catholic Church on matters of faith and morals is inerrant. It's inflexible. It's non-negotiable. We don't make it up. It comes from heaven to us. God is not up in heaven saying, let's make a deal. He's right there. And he's saying, this is the deal. That's how it works. We forget that at our own peril. So here's the deal. It's a seasonal review, so we'll just hit main points. Number one, one mortal sin makes a soul spiritually rotten. When St. Catherine of Siena would encounter someone who had a mortal sin on her soul, she could smell it, and the stench was so horrible that it caused St. Catherine to puke. If you're conscious of even one unconfessed mortal sin, remember that's something that's seriously wrong. You knew it was seriously wrong, and you gave full consent to your will anyway. If you're con- conscious of even one unconfessed mortal sin, you must not go to communion until you've gone to confession. If anyone thinks different, if anyone's told you different, you've been misinformed. Okay, Father Henderson's back there right now. He'll be happy to take care of you. Get rid of your mortal sin before it gets rid of you. Number two, the weather's warming up, and that means, gentlemen, that you better be practicing custody of the eyes and custody of the mind. As that great Pope and doctor of the church, St. Gregory the Great, says, quote, it's not lawful to behold what it's not lawful to covet. Close quote. Guard your eyes and guard your imaginations. When you're under attack, ask our Lord's precious blood. Say, precious blood, wash over me. Precious blood, wash over me. Jesus, Mary Joseph, St. Marie Garetti, guardian angel, help me. Then think about something. Change that image in your mind to something beautiful and attractive like Canoe in Montana. Say your three Hail Marys for holiness and purity every morning and every night. And mothers, if you're going shopping, be careful about which aisles you take your boys up and down. Better be thinking about that stuff. Number three, pornography. Pornography on the Internet is destroying lives. It's destroying marriages. And it's destroying the innocence of our youth. Not that, it's bringing serious demonic problems into people's homes and offices and lives. And I mean that literally. I mean that literally. If you're going to have the Internet. If you're going to have the Internet. If you're going to have the Internet. You get the American Family Association or Family filter on it, and you get it on today. We've had a bulletin notice about this about every two or three weeks for years. Get it on your computer, get it on the day. You wouldn't let an open sewer flow out in your house, would you? This is worse. If you're going to have the Internet, get family, that American Family Association filter on it today. Fourth, women's clothing. 
Pope Pius XII, quote, We have to prefer the spiritual welfare of our neighbor to our own comfort. Immodesty in fashion depends upon the cut of the garment. There's always an absolute norm. There's always an absolute norm, and style must never be approximate occasion of sin. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin, it is your duty to give it up. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of an already corrupt society, and we certainly live in one. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ, with a few parenthetical comments. Here are the absolute norms from the Holy See for modesty in women's clothing. It must not be cut deeper than two fingers' breadth under the pit of the throat. Quarter-length sleeves are tolerated, no sleeveless blouses or bare shoulders. Must reach beyond the knees. Transparent materials are improper, as is tight clothing. If anyone has immodest clothing, get rid of it. It's an anchor that could very well drag you down into the pit. If anyone's tempted to wear immodest clothing, remember that you are your brother's keeper, and that where it's the fashion to sin, it's also the fashion to go to hell. Get rid of it. And you parents are responsible if you allow the girls who are living at home, in your home, to violate these rules. Five, passionate kissing and related things. St. Alphonsus, quote, Pope Alexander VII condemned the opinion that it is only venially sinful for people who are not married to one another to kiss for the carnal and sensual pleasure which arises from the kiss, even if there's no danger of further consent or of going even further. Therefore, every time someone with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will delights in carnal or sensual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married, he commits a mortal sin. This is also true with respect to other touches which stir up carnal pleasure. The reason is that any delight taken in stirring up the appetites surrounding the creative power is a movement towards a marital act and is therefore reserved to the married, close quote, the doctor of moral theology of the Universal Church commenting on the teaching, infallible teaching, of Pope Alexander VII. Every time someone with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will delights in carnal or sensual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married, he commits a mortal sin. The bottom line is that kisses which are allowed to unmarried people are just like the kisses you might give great-grandma or great-grandpa. That little peck-on-a-cheek kind of thing, that's it. No hee-hawing or humming around at all. No passion allowed to the unmarried. Sixth point, dating. You've heard me say this before. It's an old-time priest saying, Solus cum sola non dicunt ave Maria. Roughly translated, what does that mean? It means when a guy's alone with a girl, they ain't saying hell marries. Because they're not. At least not for long. A quote from a standard manual for priests. Quote, Company keeping with the intention of timely marriage company keeping with the intention of timely marriage can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin since in our society people do not marry strangers. Close quote. 
So, if you're reasonably sure you have the vocation to be married, and if you're capable of being married, in other words, you're old enough, and I'm speaking directly to the guys right now, if you can keep a roof over her head and food on the table, because that's your job, guys, you support her, if you're old enough and able to assume the duties of marriage, or very close to being able to do so, then and only then is it okay to date. No one has the right to enter an occasion of sin without a sufficient reason. Period. Close the book. That means that anyone here who's dating but isn't old enough or almost old enough to get married, or any of you guys haven't got with the program yet to the point you can take care of a woman, you need to break up. You're in an occasion of sin. And if you're not dating with marriage in mind, you need to break up. It's infinitely better to be lonely in this life and happy in the next. Who cares what everyone else is doing? Instead of thinking about what everyone else is doing, think about where everyone else is going. Quit worrying about the crowd and start worrying about the salvation of your immortal soul. Seven, contraception and direct sterilization. Both these are mortal sins and both these are against the natural law. If you're involved with either of these sins and you don't repent and confess them, you'll go to hell. I don't care what you've heard elsewhere. You've been misinformed. You'll go to hell. Why so much on the sixth and ninth commandments? Because it's spring in the first place. And in the second place, because of what that great doctor of moral theology, the church, St. Alphonsus, says, quote, These are the most frequent and most abundant confession matters and on account of which the greater number of souls fall into hell. Indeed, I do not hesitate to assert that all those who are damned are damned on account of this one vice of impurity, or at least not without it. Close quote. St. Alphonsus. Now maybe some of you feel like I just yanked off chunks of your hide and started rubbing the raw flesh. It's not out of some desire to hurt you. I don't want you to go to hell. And I don't want to go there either. So I gotta tell you how it is. That way I got a shot. Let's close. Even if someone here is in terrible trouble, a black sheep with a soul totally infested with spiritual pus and maggots, there's every reason for hope. You're here. You're Catholic. Think what that means. That means that God loves you so much, he's already let you be one of his sheep. That's pretty amazing. And he's also let you know what you need to do to be healed and to be saved. And the sick society we're in gives us all kinds of room for hope, too. There's every reason to hope when you live in a society like this. How's that? The inerrant word of God tells us in Romans 5.20 that where sin abounds, grace did abound even more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Well, sin is abounding. There's a biblical flood of sin around, okay? But what's God's word telling us there? That means if there's a flood of sin, there must be oceans of grace available. It's a fantastic time to become a saint. 
God isn't going to allow himself to be outdone by sin. He's the good shepherd. He won't be undone or outdone. He's literally pouring down oceans of grace on the sheep of his flock who turn to him for help. Grace is flowing right through that confessional right now. Rivers of grace. In a few minutes, there'll be a whole waterfall pouring right there off the altar. So prepare yourself.